episode 83, Danny. It is, Tyler. Maybe it's fitting that this movie is one of the ones in the 80s, to start with an 8, being arachnophobia. That's a good point. Arachnids, eight legs. Yeah. I'm really stretching it. I just wanted it to fit for some reason. But we are on arachnophobia this week. Yes, we are. And another one of those fun films we get to talk about. Yeah, it's another one I'm really looking forward to. Before we get into anything, do you have anything from the week? I think you have a little bit of news. It's not happening quite yet, but it's something no, that but you I just do set up. have some news for November. So, with that in mind, I know we've talked about Suspiria several times and the fact that the new movie's coming out in November. And a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that Goblin are not only screening the original, but they're going to score the film as they're playing. Anyhow, I bought my ticket to go see them in Portland, and I might have a couple of people joining me, one being my sister, maybe my brother, so we'll see. But yeah, I've got that pretty much set in stone. i got my flight tickets, got my ticket to the show, so yeah. You'll have to blow up the gram. Oh, dude, it's going to be fucking nuts. I'm looking so forward to it, man. Yeah, dude, that's going to be awesome for you. I don't have anything. Well, <laughs> there are quite a few bits of news. Oh, I might earlier. have one thing, but it's really short, so... <laughs> Well, tonight here in Missoula, for people who are fans, there's a legendary band that's playing. You might know them by the name of Pearl Jam. So I got stuck in that fucking traffic on the way over. So that was kind of a gentle reminder that they are playing tonight. But outside of that, man, something that's more relevant to the show is I did see that Severn Films, which is a distribution company, they have restored two of Joe D'Amato's, and we're talking about 80s films here. Mm. Both of them are video nasties, and the first one is Anthropophagus, and the second one is Absurd. So, Do you own Anthropophagus? I do. It's kind of ironic because I bought it just a few months ago. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because both of these films are getting a Blu-ray release on September 25th. Oh. And they're going to be loaded with all kinds of new features and goodies. And you can either purchase them as a part of like a dual pack or individually. And they also come with an alternate bundle with a video nasty slipcover. Oh, cool. Not only that, but they're also throwing in a gut-munching plush doll. It's like, ah, oh, it's kind of neat. So for those who are fans of Joe D'Amato, video nasties, get your hands on that Blu-ray copy. I was reading this. I scanned it. I know we've talked about it. So Nicolas Cage is in an upcoming film called Mandy. And I caught a bit of news because he said... His character. What does that do out? Did we look that I up? I think it's sometime in September. Motherfucker, it better be coming soon because that movie looks. Yeah, September 14th. Great. So now check this out. He said that he based his character, or at least it was inspired by Jason Voorhees. You know, we've kind of seen some of the previews. We've watched the trailer. It looks like it's going to be pretty dope. I'll briefly read what he had to say. Cage said that there's some kind of drink or a cocktail that he drinks, and he said his fighting style becomes more ferocious, he's more cat-like and feral. So with that, there's some Jason S. qualities he kind of attributes it to. So it'll be interesting, man. For those who have seen the trailer or have not, go check it out. And you get to see Nicolas Cage <laughs> be inspired by Jason Voorhees. All right, now we've actually covered one of these gentlemen's films, but apparently 17 of H.G. Lewis's films have been restored and will be available for theatrical release. Oh, cool. That's pretty nice. So it sounds like the American Genre Film Archive, they're apparently the largest nonprofit genre film archive in the world. They are doing the theatrical distribution, and it looks like a lot of these are going to start dropping around October 1st. So for those who are familiar or those who want to get involved in seeing The Godfather of Gore, they'll be available soon. Now here's another one. It's kind of music-centric, but... 
Glenn Danzig is directing and scoring a horror movie based on his Verotic comic characters. Oh, so cool. For Good those who are familiar, yeah. Like, has he directed anything before? Like, his uh, not that own, I'm like music with. videos or something, maybe? Probably, or? but I honestly I don't keep up enough with them. Mother. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just tell my children not to walk his way. That's right. <laughs> I was about to start spitting out the lyrics. I was like, nah, I think people know that song. I know I did see this, and this is outside of just you know researching it today. But I did see that the Enter the Poltergeist House at this year's Horror Nights are at both of the Universal Studio Parks. So, for those who like the Universal Studios, the Horror Nights, the Halloween Horror Nights, that is, you'll be treated to the Poltergeist House, which is kind of neat. Got a couple of other bits of news. One of the things is we've actually covered this director too, but Jeremy Saulnier, he's got a new film. It's called Hold the Dark, and apparently he said it's his highest body count to date. Hmm. We did Green Room. I've actually seen Murder Party. It's a pretty decent little indie film, but yeah, I've liked his project so far, man. We'll see what this I'm one has in tell. Yeah, so that'll be pretty awesome. We talked a little bit about these guys last week, but Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are returning to horror. I haven't watched movie. that trailer yet. I saw that I it dropped, either. but yeah, this movie's called Slaughterhouse Rules with a Z. So the trailer just dropped. Man, we had to check that out. And the last bit of news I have is because we've covered this gentleman several times. But for those who are familiar with Christopher Lee and his Dracula, you can learn the history of Hammer Horror, the Warner Brother years. It's going to be on Blu-ray soon. So it looks like that is going to be released August twenty-sixth. So there are only a few hundred copies available. So if you want to, get your hands on them. Yeah, see, all I got is I saw one of the pictures from the new Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, it nice. looks like some crazy witch shit going out on in the woods. Nice, so, dude. That's going to be fun. It seemed mostly kind of benign. There was obviously some sort of ceremony taking place. But if you look in the background, right where it starts to fuzzy a little bit, there's definitely some dude standing there, like, covered in blood. And I think Very part nice. of the storyline involves, like, marrying the devil or something. So I'm fucking down to clown. Sabrina marrying the devil. That's going to be awesome, man. Minute, 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 minute. <laughs> Hell yeah. Raise the horns. <laughs> so that's going to be fun, man. As long as nice they find horns. some way to get Melissa Joan Hart to make a cameo. I'd be okay with that, even if she comes back as Clarissa. Yeah. <laughs> she can explain it all to us. That's all I got, though. It looked good. I'm kind of excited for that, so... Yeah, no, outside of that, like my little nephew's birthdays oh, yesterday. I'm still enjoying kind of Castle Rock. Yeah, Castle Rock's been fucking dope, man. So, yeah, we still say go check that out, especially Highly recommend it. We dig Stephen King, and we think they're doing a pretty good job of weaving a good. insane story. Yeah, five episodes deep, and mm-hmm. I'm loving it so far. So, yeah, check it out if you haven't. But outside of that, man, that's about all I have to share for this week. Yeah, same here. Let's get into the guts, guts and bolts. Arachnophobia. time for them guts and bolts oh yeah man so this is the section where we get to talk about the cast and the crew and all the fun shit in between yeah minus spoilers exactly so what we like to do for those who are unfamiliar is we like to give you a little bit of a synopsis to kind of give you an idea of what you're getting yourself into all right synopsis for arachnophobia okay spiders invade a town 
I mean, I could go into specifically where they're from and all that shit, but spiders invade a town and it's not good news for anyone because they're really deadly. Yes. Brief synopsis. <laughs> so yeah, I like it, man. This movie does take place in the year 1990, so keep that in mind for those who are going back and watching this film. What we can do is we can lead off with the people who went into making the film, and I'll start off by talking about our director on this film, is Frank Marshall. <laughs> I was going to say, so one of the interesting things about this film overall is that we get to talk about a whole different group of people than we usually get to talk about. You're absolutely right with about horror that. films. We've mentioned before, you know, there's certain people that run within the genre that we keep seeing pop up time and time again. This is a little bit more of like a major studio movie. Frank Marshall, he might have directed this. He's better known as a producer. He's probably best known as the husband to <laughs> the most successful producer of all time. No kidding, right? So Frank Marshall is an extremely successful man. He is. Him, his wife, and Steven Spielberg were the ones that created the Amblin Entertainment Group. And he himself has been producer on... I think you just named a couple things, didn't you? But I mean, I know okay. he's known primarily for being a producer. I just wrote down his directing credits. So, yeah, he's been a producer on, like... Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, Color Purple, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Hook, Signs, Born Identity, wow. Jurassic World. I mean, I'm just bouncing around so you get a scope of the career. However, I say he's the underachieving husband because I don't know when we'll ever get to talk about Kathleen Kennedy otherwise on this show. I think we got to bring her up one other time. We may have, but I can't remember exactly. I don't think I'm wrong when I say that Kathleen Kennedy is considered to be the most successful producer of all time wow. because of the projects that she has worked on. She's probably best known right now for being the person who's basically in charge of Star Wars. Damn. Uh, all of that is kind of under her thumb right now. Like That's she's awesome. the one that gets to run final say on all the movie universe. Wow. But beyond that... Jesus uh, this, Christ. <laughs> she was associate producer to Steven Spielberg on Raiders Lost Ark. Go through executive producer on things like Back to the Future, Goonies, Empire of the Sun, Who Framed Roger Rabbit as well. I mean, like I said, her and Spielberg and her husband formed Amblin Entertainment Group. So they're going to have some combined titles over the years. But I mean, all the latest Star Wars. Let me see here. War of the Worlds, Munich, Seabiscuit. AI, Balto, Jesus. Hook, An American Tale, Five Goes West, <laughs> Joe Versus the Volcano, nice. The Flintstones, Twister. So she's known as a producer, but the reason why she basically runs Star Wars is that she's president of Lucasfilm since <laughs> yeah, the Disney crazy, acquisition. Jesus Murphy, man. So if you haven't seen her hands on any Spielberg projects, then you will have seen them on Disney projects and Lucasfilm projects. The films she's Jesus. produced have garnered eight Academy Award nominations and over $11 billion worldwide. And she's been producer on three of the highest grossing films in motion picture That's history. Unbelievable. That's pretty awesome, though. Anyway, her husband was involved in this. <laughs> yeah. No she kidding. is producer on this, though. So She certainly is. So... There's just a few projects that I have Frank Marshall as, as far as a director. I already mentioned Alive. He was a director on the film Congo. He was also the director on Eight Below. We should do Congo at some point. We eventually will. There's no doubt. Given who's all in that film. I remember it fucking freaking me the fuck out when I was a little kid. <laughs> but not a lot. Just enough. Anyway, we can go into it when we cover it. But it's not a good movie, looking nice. back on it. <laughs> That's well, you know, considering and everything, but... 
The only other two projects that I have him directing are two making ofs, and those are the making of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and he's also done the making of Poltergeist. So along with Frank Marshall, we have a few writers, and we've got three people, and I'll talk about the first person, and that's Don Jacoby. Now, he helped with the story and the screenplay on this, and you might know his works because he's helped write the screenplay for Life Force, which we've mentioned several times now. He's also the writer for Death Wish Part 3. He's also responsible for writing John Carpenter's Vampires, which we've actually covered. And I've also got him down as being the writer on the film Evolution. Now, along with him, I have Al Williams, who helped write the story. This is his only credit. And Wesley Strict helped with the screenplay, and he's got some really cool projects. He's helped write the 1990s version of Cape Fear. You might have also seen his work on the film Wolf. We've mentioned The Saint before. This is actually Val Kilmer, The Saint. He's also helped write for the film Doom. You might have seen his work on a handy little film called A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. (laughs) Kind of shitty. And he's also responsible for writing a couple episodes of The Man in the High Castle, the television series. Right. And I believe he had one of the versions of the script for Superman Lives, which never got made. But would have had Nick Cage as Superman. Oh, I've seen like some <laughs> test shots of him in the cape. Oh my god! He did one of the versions of the script. Kevin Smith did one of the versions of yeah. the script. That's There's some awesome. really interesting. St- There's an entire documentary about the, the making of it. that movie and how it never happened. Wow. So. Yeah, that would be pretty neat to see all that. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. So our cinematographer on this film is Michael Solomon, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's Danish. But yeah, he's known for some of like his earlier works are all in Denmark, and then he started doing works on films such as The Abyss. You might have also seen his cinematography work on the film Always, Backdraft, and Far and Away. So those are some of his projects. And we were just talking about Castle Rock. We should probably bring up he's also cinematographer on Salem's Lot. The editor on this, I should note, this is a really big name in editing. So this gentleman is Michael Kahn, and I looked at some of his works, and I was thoroughly Michael impressed. Kahn. Michael Kahn. <laughs> Michael Kahn, Michael Kahn. Michael Kahn. <laughs> That's funny. So he goes back, and he was known for editing the television series Hogan's Heroes. Then he started doing some black exploitation films, such as... Man, I can't believe I'm going to say a couple of these. They're not too bad, but... <laughs> The second one is kind of iffy. So the first one I have written down is Black Belt Jones. That's not bad. But the second one I was talking about is called The Spook Who Sat By The Door. And for those who are familiar with that slang term, it's exactly what it means. It's like, God damn. He was also the editor on films such as The Savage is Loose. You might have seen his work on Used Cars. He's also the editor on, of course, The Poltergeist. The Goonies, Fatal Attraction, Alive, Twister, and most, if not all, of Steven Spielberg's films. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he has been nominated for the most Academy Awards for editing, and he's won several, and he's also won several BAFTA Awards as well. So, I mean, this is a very prominent editor, and Steven Spielberg even said, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, he says, but... Michael Kahn is basically the guy who takes editing as a profession and turns it into an art form. You're right when you say all the fucking Steven Spielberg. Yeah, shit. I mean, like I'm looking at his thing you've seen Steven right Spielberg now. done. He's got his hands on. Damn, he's known for working with several directors on several of their projects, and they're always prominent to those films. So he's got a wealth of credits under his belt, and rightfully so. Right, now, the music I have on this is also a very interesting gentleman, and this is Trevor Jones. Now, you might have heard his work on films such as Excalibur, 
There's a Terry Gilliam film, Time Bandits, that I actually need to go back and watch. Uh, now Last some more Mohicans, some more Spielberg. Movie. He might have, and even I think it's Henson as well. So he scored The Dark Crystal. Oh, nice. Runaway Train, the film Labyrinth for Cliff those hanger. Yeah, Mississippi Burning, True Colors. You've already mentioned The Last of the Mohicans, In the Name of the Father, one of my favorite films, Dark City. Oh, I was about to say Dark City. Love that movie. Another Johnny Depp film from Hell. Actually, I, I like that film. And another one I have written down is I, Robot. And of course, he's got several other films under his belt, but those are the ones that kind of stood out to me. Now, the special effects on this was done by Industrial Light and Magic. They're known as ILM and Matt World Digital. And there's several people I'll mention later on that actually helped with some of the animatronics and some of the engineering. We've actually talked about these guys before, and they're pretty big names. I'll reserve uh, it. Well, I'm curious if one of the names you're going to bring up happens to be Jamie Heineman. It's not, but that is a big name. Jamie Heineman of Mythbusters fame. This was one of the first movies that he worked special effects yeah, on. which is really cool. So for those who are familiar with Mythbusters, you get to see some of his handiwork. He said that a lot of stuff was simple magnets. Yeah, I'll read that too. I thought, mm-hmm. Well, I can kind of see it. It makes sense. So, yeah, now there's some other names that we mentioned before because of a director. Now, along with that, we've already mentioned a producer on this is Kathleen Kennedy and a partner, Richard Vane. Our production companies were Hollywood Pictures and Emblem Entertainments. They helped present the film. Tangled Web Productions, they went uncredited. And Warm Weather International Group de Venezuela were also the producers on this film. Our distributors were Buena Vista Pictures for the 1990 USA theatrical release. The release date on this film was July 18th, 1990 here in the States, and January 4th, 1991 in the UK and in Ireland. The budget was an estimated $22 million and it grossed a very moderate $53.2 million. I've got two taglines for this film. Okay. The first one I have, eight legs, two fangs, and an attitude. Okay. I like how they kind of market this. The second one, <laughs> all right. Second one I have is the suspense of Alien, the excitement of Jaws, the fun of Back to the Future. I wonder why they chose all those films. <laughs> right, jeez. I am not in love with either of those taglines, but I'm, I'm also not thinking of anything better. So. Likewise, you know, it was 1990, so there you go. And we mentioned that it was Amblin. And... All right, so outside of our crew, we do have the cast, and it's a pretty chalk-heavy cast. There's some really familiar names. So I'll lead off with Jeff Daniels. He plays Dr. Ross Jennings on this. This is actually the first time we get to talk about Jeff Daniels, and for good reason, too. He's been in some really cool films, and if you look back at his career... He was known for his works in The Purple Rose of Cairo. There's a film called Something Wild. Then he's done some work in Timescape. You might have seen him in Gettysburg. And then some films I'm more familiar with because of the 90s were the film Speed, Dumb and Dumber. I was going to say, he's going to be forever immortalized oh because of Dumb and Dumber. How can he not be? Yeah, that movie, genius. <laughs> yeah, in history for those who love comedy. He was also in Flyway Home. You might have seen him in 101 Dalmatians. He was in the film The Hours, Gods and Generals, The Squid and the Whale, Dumb uh, Number Two. I really like him in Cheaters. Yeah. I had Cheaters on DVD. So that's not wrong with that. I mean, he's been in all kinds of other works. He's done some television spots. He's actually a musician as well, and he's done several albums. So 
He's got his hands on quite a few projects. I really enjoy him, man. If I'm not mistaken, I've actually heard he's got a home somewhere up in maybe Whitefish. Or... I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, yeah. probably. The next person I have is his movie wife in this film, and that was played by Harley Jean Kozak. She plays Molly Jennings. I think she got her debut in a horror film called The House on Sorority Row. You might have seen her in When Harry Met Sally. She was in a film called Side Out, and the reason I put that down is because C. Thomas Howell is in that. Mm-hmm. And we've covered him in The Hitcher. So for those who like volleyball movies, she was in another film I really enjoyed because of Scott Bakula, but she was in the film Necessary Roughness. And you might have also seen her in the film The Red Queen. Now, here's a huge name, because we've mentioned him before. If I'm not mistaken, I think this is like a third time mentioning him. We did Red State, we did Chud. And so the person I'm talking about is John Goodman. And he plays Delbert McClintock. The in Flintstones, film. John Goodman. Yeah, Roseanne's. <laughs> you know, I have to we don't up. say Roseanne anymore. Oh, well, yeah, I know it's a bad name, right? <laughs> All right. So, outside of some of those film credits, he's got a wealth of credits, and I'll name a few. Right? Speed Racers, John Goodman. I was going to say because we've mentioned Nick Cage, I was going to say Raising Arizona's. Oh, John Goodman. He's in a film that has Big Lebowski's. Yeah, John Goodman. God damn it, Donnie. <laughs> He was in The Revenge of the Nerds. He's in a film with David Byrne and like some really cool other actors and actresses. And if you don't but, know who John Goodman is. God, I would hope you do. Come on. Like he's so great in like everything he's in. Yeah, he's a great actor. He's fantastic in this. I like him in this a lot. He's a little hokey, but he's good. The film I was talking about is the film True Stories, so it's kind of based off a lot of the Talking Heads music. and mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good film. Now we start going through some more of his catalog. I like a film that he's in. It's called Barton Fink. You might have seen him in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Some of those Nicholas Tutorio films. Mm-hmm. He was in The Blues Brothers 2000, The Big Lebowski. He was in Dirty Work, actually. He went uncredited in that. There was a show I used to watch, and I've actually mentioned it before, but he was in the show Treme, which is about New Orleans and what happened after Hurricane Katrina. It's really good. Just look through his film credits. He's been in all kinds of shit, and he's still doing work. Man, he's a great actor. All right, the next actor I have, and we've talked about him several times, and we finally get to talk about him for reals, and this is Julian Sands. I don't know how we're not talking about Julian The first time we get to talk about Julian Sands for real, and it's not for Warlock. I know, right? As many times as we brought it up. All right, so he plays Dr. James Atherton in this, and he goes back a little bit because he's done work on the film The Killing Fields. He was also in the film Gothic. Of course, he plays Warlock. He was in a David Cronenberg film, Naked Lunch. You might have seen him in a film I highly recommend. It's really weird. It's called Boxing Helena. Oh, they're going to say the Warlock of Armageddon. (laughs) Yeah, that's really weird. He was also in The Phantom of the Opera in the 90s. You might have seen him in Ocean's 13, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and he did have a recurring role on the Dexter series. We should point out that that is the Argento for the Phantom of the Opera. So that's the 90s version. Probably not the best version, but it's still worth checking out if you like Julian Sands. Now, there was also a television show that he did with Chris Kattan, and it came out like in, I think it was late 2000s, but it was where Chris Kattan was trying to come back as a Bollywood hero. (laughs) And he had a love interest that was, I believe, dating Julian Sands' character. I can't remember the name of the show, but it was brought out by the IFC channel. So (laughs) for those who are familiar, you've probably seen him in that as well. Wish I could remember the name of the show, but it's no big deal. So outside of that, I do have another actor. His name is Brian McMara. He plays Chris Collins in this. You might have seen him in the films The Flamingo Kid. He was in a film I really enjoyed growing up, the film Short Circuit. 
He was in a TV movie called Sadie and Son, another one called Billionaire Boys Club. You might have seen him in Caddyshack Part 2. You might have seen him in a film with Ethan Hawke called Mystery Date. He was also in Gone in 60 Seconds and a film called I Know Who Killed Me. The next person I have, this is a really well-known voice actor because he's been in a ton of shit, but this person is Stuart Pankin, and he plays Sheriff Lloyd Parsons. Some of the stuff I've written down in were The Dirt Bike Kid. You might have seen him in Fatal Attraction. He was in an HBO show I used to watch back in the 80s. It was called Not Necessarily the News. Hmm. He was also in Mannequin on the Move. You might have heard his voice on the television show Dinosaurs as Earl Sinclair, which oh, is the daddy, not the fuck. mama. Yeah, dude. He was also in Congo, and he was also in Striptease. Now, he's also done a lot of voice acting in children's animated shows. I think he's done some voice acting in Batman the Animated Series and All Real Monsters. Mm -hmm. There was just so many, it was hard to write them all down, but you've probably heard his voice before. All right, the next person I have is Mark L. Taylor. He plays Jerry Manley in this film. He was in films such as Any Which Way You Can, which is a film about Clint Eastwood and orangutan. That's right. <laughs> I really like it, man. Man and his monkey. A man and his monkey. You might have seen him in a film called Angel Heart, uh, another comedy I like. It's Born in East L.A. Born in East L.A. Yeah, man. I love that <laughs> film, man. Cheech Marin, so good. He was also in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, if you're familiar with that. In Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. He was also in a Polly Shore film, Jury Duty. And there was another comedy I like, highly underrated. It's a film called Eight Days a Week. The next person I have is Henry Jones. He plays Dr. Sam Metcalf. You might have seen him in the 1957 310 to Yuma. He was in Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. You might have seen him in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He was also in Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. And he was also in Dick Tracy from 1990. It's pretty good. Warren Beatty, Madonna. All right, the next person I have, he's got a wealth of credits. They're all worth mentioning, but this person is Peter Jason. He plays Henry Beechwood in this film, and he goes back, and I start looking at some of those film credits. I'll mention a Cheech and Chong movie. He was in a film called Nice Dreams, for those familiar. He was in the film Mommy Dearest, which you might have seen him in not too long ago, Tyler. He was in 48 Hours. You might have seen him in The Karate Kid, which I believe he was the yeah. soccer coach during that scene. He was in a film called Dreamscape. You might have seen him in Brewster's Millions. He was in Prince of Darkness, the film Alien Nation. He was in a film we should cover at some point, but he was in They Live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was also in The Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned. He was also in Congo. You might have seen him in Mortal Kombat. You might have seen him in Escape from L.A., Ghost of Mars, he was also in several episodes of Arrested Development and a more recent film, he was in Hail Caesar. Mm -hmm. So it's like, man, those are all worth mentioning, man. All right, the next person I have is James Handy. He plays Milton Briggs in this. He's got a few film credits, that is, but you might have seen him in the film K9, which I believe is a bullshit film. It's, eh, it's all right. You might have seen him in Disney's The Rocketeer. He was also in the 1995 Jumanji. He was in the film Unbreakable. A film that I know you like a lot, but he was in the film Logan and a Matt Damon film called Suburbicon. The next actress I have is Frances Bay. She plays Evelyn Metcalf. She goes back a bit, but you might have seen her in the film Foul Play. She was also in The Karate Kid for a brief moment. She was in a bunch of David Lynch films, and it starts off with Blue Velvet. She went on to do Big Top Pee Wee, 
which was not a David Lynch film. <laughs> that would have been weird. She was in a Arnold Schwarzenegger film with Danny DeVito in the film Twins. Right. I've seen her in that. She was in The Karate Kid Part 3. She was also in Wild at Heart, which is a David Lynch film, which is also a Nicolas Cage film. You might have seen her in Critters Part 3. She was in Twin Peaks. She was in The Mouth of Madness. She was in an Adam Sandler movie, which people probably more recognize her for because she was in Happy Gilmore. And she was also in the screen version of Inspector Gadget. All right, now I've got a few more people. Well, four people, three with credits. All right, first person I have is Roy Brocksmith. He plays Irv Kendall in this film. You might have seen him in the Madonna film, Who's That Girl? You might have seen him in a Bill Murray film, Scrooged. He was also in The War of the Roses. I've mentioned Danny DeVito. He was in Tango and Cash, Total Recall, which is the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yeah, bro. That was the next one I had. So those are some of the film credits I have him for. The next actress I have, she is known because of a television show, but I'll name a few credits before that. So this actress is Kathy Kinney. She plays Blair Kendall. You might have seen her in the film Scrooge as well. She was also in the New Heart Show from 1989 through 1990. She was in the film This Boy's Life. She was in the Drew Carey Show because she played Mimi. I watched the shit out of the Drew Carey Show, and so... Love that yeah, show as well. Yeah, I, and I love seeing her in this just because of that. <laughs> You're like, yes, I know who she is. And she was also in My Name is Earl, the TV show. The next actress I have is Mary Carver. She plays Margaret Hollins. She goes back because she's done television work on the show Gunsmoke. There was a show I did watch in the 80s, and that was Simon and Simon. She was in the film Safe. I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. And she was also in the Rockford Files TV show. And the last actress, but certainly not the least, I have is Marlene Katz. She plays Shelley Jennings. No, right now she's mostly a casting director. Shit, you mentioned Frances Bay, right? I did. When you did point out, because you did point out that she's in Happy Gilmore, I don't want to skip over the fact that she's not just anybody in Happy Gilmore. She's Happy's grandma. Oh, that's grandma. (laughs) I was like, if you haven't seen that by now... Do yourself a favor and go watch it, man. Well, go watch when Adam Sandler movies were good. Yeah. And not Pixels. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Some of his more recent films are, yeah, they're not so great. Yeah. I mean, they're still fun, but they're not that great. So anyhow, that kind of rounds out the cast and crew. We gave you a synopsis. We should give you some brief warnings. Spiders. It's in the fucking name. I know. Arachnophobia. arachnophobia if you're arachnophobic, implies. this movie might not be for you. I don't know. It depends how arachnophobic you are, I suppose. I agree with that. I mean, it's, um, it varies by degrees. But there's all going to be a lot of spiders. There's a couple pretty good, kind of like, really quick gore shots. Yeah, there certainly are. If you don't like sellers... <laughs> Yeah, a few otherwise, cuss words, I mean, sparingly, not very much violence at all, other than those couple of quick shots. Yeah, that's about it, really. I suppose you could say a little bit of disturbing imagery with a couple of the corpses, but yeah. But outside of that, yeah, it's, it's pretty friendly overall. It's gonna leave you feeling like you got shit crawling on you. <laughs> yeah. Now keep in mind, this is a PG thirteen film, and it's a little bit more family centric. That's about it, though. Let's get into the movie. I'm ready. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what, what's going on? Oh Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's, what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh gee, why, why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, 
Must listen. Somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will come shock on, you, come on. Ah! sir. Come on, sir, you must come listen on, to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Rachnophobia. 1990. I didn't watch it that early. I However, this movie say... does go back a while for me. So, Likewise. Now, I was thinking about this, too, because with films that are a little dated, I started thinking about when did I first see this, and I was trying to think if I'd seen this in the theater or not, and looking back on it, I was like, I don't think I did. I remember it mostly because when it was available to rent. It was one of those films that we would rent, like on Fridays or Saturday nights, so... Whenever it was available, probably sometime in the fall of 1990, I probably would have seen it. See, I probably didn't see it till around like 95 or 96, okay. maybe 97, but we did own the VHS when I did see it. So I actually rewatched this movie quite a bit. <laughs> Especially for a kid, I think it does have high rewatchable value. Maybe not so much as an adult, it's still fun, but regardless. I think I was watching it about age eight or nine yeah perfect age for this film i think some of the fun was that some of the comedy still wasn't quite landing yet and so it was a little bit more serious of a horror movie for yeah, me at that yeah, age that makes sense and over time my perception of it's just morphed like i catch a little bit more of the light-hearted tone and yeah for reals so, to it, the point where i've seen some people list this movie as a parody i can see it a little I bit kind of see that but yeah. i don't I think wouldn't it's, go it's that intentions. far yeah <laughs> But, but I can horror see comedy, that. yeah, sure, oh, no doubt. Maybe not as explicit of a horror comedy as some of the others that we've covered. It does have those elements. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. So one thing I guess we can kind of ask, because this is a film about arachnophobia, how arachnophobic are you? Well, I was going to bring that up again. I did bring that up during our Beyond episode because of the spiders yeah. used in that. So for me, I generally don't mind spiders. There's even been some over the years like big barn spiders that live by our house and shit that I'd go catch fucking grasshoppers for and feed and shit. Yeah. But all bets are off if a spider's on me. Yeah. That's uh, cross the line. I can't guarantee that I'm going to like totally freak the fuck out. Right. But I also can't guarantee that I'm not going to totally freak the fuck <laughs> out. At that point, yeah. something's just flipped and it's all primal and everything's just assessed in that second and I'm oh, man. done for. That fight or flight kicks in super fast yeah. when there's insects on you especially like, fucking spiders i was trying to think about it see that's the thing like if i just like get up and i look down and the spider's on me i almost guaranteed will freak the fuck out then but i kind of feel like even some of these big fucking super nasty spiders i feel like if somebody was like handing it off yeah that's a different story then i might be able to handle it a little bit more you know what i mean like having that physical and visual confirmation of having someone right there with you that is physically handing it over (laughs) like i might be able to handle it more then i agree i don't like the free range spiders (laughs) crawling on me I'm kind of in the same boat, man. Like, even as a kid, I wasn't, like, petrified. But, you know, if they're on you, that's a whole different ballgame. So I'm cool at a distance. I'll even help them out of the house if I have to or building whatever the fuck. But, yeah, don't jump on me, bro. And actually, this movie, there's quite a few scenes that made me think of this. And it prompted me to write a note very early on in my notes. I almost freak out worse with cobwebs getting on me. Oh, cobwebs suck, dude. <laughs> I don't like that feeling. Yeah. You don't know if there's a spider on you or not at that point. All you know is that you got 
you got fucking tricked. That's what the cobweb's there for. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> it might not matter. You're 500 times bigger than but what still. it usually catches, but you still got fucking caught. You dick. did. Like... <laughs> yeah, fucking dicks. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like that feeling either, man. It's very uncomfortable. It's unsettling. And you're right. You don't know if a spider's in that fucker and like, ooh, got me a Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, no, fuck that. I've never really, like, had, like, a bad spider bite, but I appreciate how strong certain substances can be thanks to experiences with drugs. (laughs) And knowing that, like, it doesn't take much LSD to induce an effect. I'm going to guess that poison works the same way. With certain poisons, I don't want to fucking risk it. a bunch, yeah. And that includes a lot of spiders. (laughs) God damn, man. There's no telling how many species there are, and... Something that is unique to this area, which I wanted to bring up as well, that you don't really find in the southeast where I grew up is the fact that we have hobo spiders out here. So, okay. I'm going to lead into my story. My worst hobo (laughs) spider story of why I almost appreciate this movie even more these days with these fucking scary-ass spiders. I was assistant maintenance at my local hospital back home. And I was out there one summer and we were moving a bunch of cinder blocks. And, you know, are on the lookout because spiders are going to live in a giant fucking... Yeah, they're going to live in that shit. So, you know, not surprised to see some spiders here or there. Get down towards the bottom, though, and run into a hobo. Now, my boss, before I started moving all this, he knows that, you know, there's a chance that I was going to run into some spiders. And he goes, well, if you see a hobo, try to do something to catch it. Because we have a few new nurses here that aren't from the area and i want to make sure to show them what to keep the fuck away from the patients in case you see them running around kill this get it out don't let it near anybody it's bad news yeah it bites it's not you. good for those not familiar with the hobo i think hobo spider is also a term used in other parts of the u.s for similar spiders the hobos out here are the only wolf spider member of the recluse family so it still has that really shitty recluse venom. Oh, yeah, I'll fuck you But up. these fuckers roam, and they're not just, like, hanging out in their webs and shit like a fiddleback or something. Oh, no, these fuckers, they'll wait for you in your apartment complex <laughs> if you let them in. And they're a bit more aggressive than your average spider. Yeah. Markedly more aggressive. Maybe not the most aggressive spiders ever, but they're markedly more aggressive. Well, luckily, I have not had an encounter so far with hobos. No, I will say this. I've seen several of them. And I'm like, oh, fuck, these are some pretty big fuckers. They can get, I mean, not huge, but they can get some pretty decent sizes. And it's not like markedly more aggressive where, like, it's guaranteed to attack you. It's still probably going to run like most spiders will. It's just not as much of a guarantee as with other spiders. man, and that's where it's like, (laughs) fuck me, man. Now, I had some family members warn me when I moved out here. Like, they were telling me about hobo spiders being in basements and... And I was like, well, I don't live on a ground floor, but I live in an area where there, apparently there's a lot of them. If you leave your door open oh, yeah. to your apartment complex, they will fucking come and in. they're big enough that you can feel those fuckers crawl across you in the middle oh, of the night. That's yeah, not cool. I've had that shit happen. Oh, I, fuck. You could, I'm tensing up right now just like recalling it. It's not good. It's not a good feeling. <laughs> I have had a couple of spiders crawl on me in my apartment. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't invite you in. You're not a vampire. Get out of here. <laughs> You know, I don't like that feeling, man. Yeah, because you know what it feels like. Yeah. So I run into this. I run into this hobo at the bottom of the cinder block pile, and like I said, so my boss told me to try to capture it somehow. 
I'm thinking to myself, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, I don't really have a jar or anything close by to try to, like, get it into. <laughs> and I don't even really want to, like, no, do that. A, a spider wrangler? <laughs> I'm like, how can I kill it but not, like, smash it? Yeah. Like, how is it still going to be recognizable? So I run back into our shop real quick and I take a quick look around at everything that's sitting up on the shelves and shit. And I grab some car battery cleaner. Okay. Because I figure that this shit, like, if you inhale it too deeply, like, you're going to chemical burn your nose. Oh, yeah. I'm more worried that I'm accidentally going to melt the spider. You know what I mean? I gotcha. But I'm I'm like, this is going to take care of it. We'll find out. So I go out there. Luckily, the spider's still sort of, like, backed up into its little corner where I accidentally pulled his fucking cinder block home out. And I'm like, all right, shake it up. (laughs) Give him a good squirt. He does that curl up thing that spiders do. I know what you're saying, yeah. You know, just like I got him with some super duper fucking spider killer. I'm like, yeah, awesome. Go grab a piece of paper to sort of push him onto. Whip out my shop knife to sort of just use the... I'm still not going to touch the fucker. (laughs) I don't care how dead I think he is. I'm not touching him. Not taking the risk. As soon as I poke him with the blade, he pops back up into that defensive. motherfucker. (laughs) Like that full-on spider defensive... Yeah. Like he's going to bite my ass and I fucking fall on my ass, like drop my fucking that knife, scary. scream a little bit, piss, I done just, the same piss just like just, drop. Yeah. Just enough to know you still lie. <laughs> what I ended up getting him with, because the paper was already still there, I managed to slide it under him while he was still all pissed off in that corner. Mm-hmm. And then I just covered his ass in PVC cement. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. That's fucked up. Oh. But it dried clear enough that we were still able to go around and then show the nurses and stuff. That's so pretty awesome. It ended up working. But <laughs> Yeah. No, I can't say I've had an encounter quite like that. <laughs> Not yet. It makes me appreciate this movie even more. Fuck God, that. Man. Fuck that. Yeah, no shit. No, I've had encounters being from the Southeast. You know, we're no strangers to, like, Black Widows, Wolf Spiders, all kinds of crazy shit, especially out in the woods. No matter where you live, if you're in the woods, you're going to run into spiders and stuff. But my experience has been very limited. I've been very fortunate in that regard. The only other spider that I could really think of, we used to call them banana spiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what their proper name is. I think they're just kind of like a form of like a weave spider because they, you know, they weave their webs in you know, an intricate pattern. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, we used to see those a lot in people's gardens and stuff, you know, kind of roaming the neighborhoods. But outside of that, man, I mean, you know, you're run-of-the-mill granddaddy long legs and... Well, and that's the shitty thing. It's like, we do got hobos up here, but you do have to watch out for the Black Widows, too. Oh, no kidding. We got a lot of stuff out here that's looking to kill your ass. <laughs> bears, mostly. Yeah, but... <laughs> big bears. If you don't fuck with bears, we got hobos and Black Widows. <laughs> no, fuck hobos all day long. Like, I'm even scared that, like, one of them's going to get in my apartment and my cat's going to want to try to fuck with it. Oh, them. man. Yeah, because cats live on the, on the dangerous side. <laughs> I don't need that shit. No, That's man. not good venom to get bit by. This is not to strike the fear in the hearts of people who are listening and or ourselves, but I also have that fear that they want to sneak into my tennis shoes or like slippers and stuff. So I'm always shaking out my fucking shoes before I put them on because I've learned one thing about spiders and this film kind of proves that point. So they will sneak into your shit <laughs> if you're not careful. Just don't be a jerk ass and not retire when you said you're going to retire. I know. It's like, well, you dead anyway now, so, hey, sucker. What the fuck? <laughs> I want to. What a dick. Let's skip into the movie a little bit. Yeah, I know we've been talking about spiders, but I mean it's appropriate. Yeah. 
We're going to just skip it in the middle of the movie. This is the spoiler section. We're assuming you've seen it by this I point. I hope so. This movie's almost this 30 shit. years old. Maybe we should explain it just in case. Yeah, we'll give you yeah, kind of like watch. a heads up. So, yeah, Jeff Daniels moves to town as the new town doctor because he was assured months ago by the current town doctor. Right. He's moving from big city, San Francisco, into little podunk, middle of nowhere. Although they made the town seem like super small. They seriously made the town seem like it was only like 20 people. I know, right? When they but first see it. those buildings are way nicer than any town of 20 people I've ever seen. Because I've seen some towns of 20 people. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> Shit. But you're right. They kind of set you up in a weird direction with that town. That town looks kind of like more like Missoula-ish. When they first drive into town, not to hark on it too much, but I was like, man, that almost looks... I mean, it looks just like a fucking movie set. And I was like, oh, you're right. Yeah, How big is this town set, supposed to parts be? Parts of it look... Yeah. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to sell it as being a lot smaller than what it really looks like. Well, I mean, yeah, because they try to allude to the fact that this is a small town. You know, life and stuff like that. Anyway, he life. wouldn't have shown up out there if it wasn't for the fact that he was assured by the town doctor that he was retiring... And you could take over all of his patients. Yeah, exactly. Fucking, there you go. Job security for life. Now you're the town doctor. No fucking shit you're going to move out yeah. from San Francisco. Plus, you finally get to own your own home with the fucking wine cellar. Oh, dude. It's pretty much everything he was looking for. He shows up. Doctor's like, doctor doesn't just say, I'm not going to not retire. He's a fucking dick. He's a super dick to him. I had to write down a couple of his lines. He's like, good news. Good news, at least for my patients in this town. I know, he's already setting it up like that, right? And you're like, what? The fuck is that supposed to mean? There was another one I'm pretty sure I wrote down. Oh, later on when they were talking about the football player. Oh, yeah. And he was just like talking shit. He's like, I heard it wasn't even a very hard tackle. Yeah. I mean, all the stuff that he attributes to the early deaths prior to his death, he keeps blaming it on the doctor. He's the new doctor. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He's got that big city mind. And you're right, every chance he can, he'll throw a jab at the dock. Also, being from a small town, like, maybe a little bit suspicious if a super big out-of-towner comes into town. You usually don't care that much. Yeah. People usually only care if you do something really stupid when you come move into town from way out of town. Like, I don't know, I've seen some really stupid examples, like, some stupid shit. Like, people buy up, like, a out-of-the-way home up behind a mountain and then fucking build an ugly ass road up the fucking face of a mountain that was never there before just to get to their stupid ass new vacation home yeah that shit sucks i'm not (laughs) a big fan of that and that's regardless because you know i'm not really from a country town and even then it's only stupid if it's like a vacation home and you're not going to be there all the time whatever build a road if you need to get to your fucking house but still yeah there's other ways to do that but otherwise don't come to my backyard and fucking fuck up woods i'm in you're right. Don't change the dynamics of something that's been there much longer than you're going to be there. But he wasn't doing that. He's like, I'm giving up the city life to try yeah. to come to help you people. Exactly. And the fucking town doctor and one of the fucking cops The sheriff, yeah. dicks. Yeah, I do like that because outside of the spiders being the bad guys in this film... You do need some semblance of a human bad guy type, I suppose. They're like the archetype of that. But yeah, I kind of like it too because it is kind of like you're familiar with people who have that kind of small town mentality, so to speak. Anyhow, you're right. That whole setup with the doc, man. (laughs) He's a dick the whole time. Even up to his death, he's still shit talking. But then immediately, call Jeff Daniels. I don't remember his character's name. Call Jeff Daniels. Call Jennings. (laughs) Yeah. 
I think it's funny that he knew like right then and he was having a seizure. Lisbeth. <laughs> oh my god. That's the big one. <laughs> it's funny and it's bittersweet and ironic in a sense. So I'm going to skip back to towards the beginning of the movie real quick. This made me laugh really hard out loud <laughs> when they were doing the initial collection, which, by the way, was something I always wanted to do as a kid. It's pretty cool. I thought that was one of the coolest scenes was like the killing of all the insects. I, I know, in it. Right? <laughs> when I was a kid also, because like I said, when I was watching this when I was eight or nine, I had friends whose parents were beekeepers as a hobby oh, pretty neat. and had a couple hives and shit. So I've seen bees like smoked out and made drowsy by smoke. <laughs> so I don't think I realized as a kid that they were necessarily, all of those things were dying when they were coming down. Yeah, I think as a kid, it's you just think they're asleep. I mean, some of the smoke. dialogue indicates that it's supposed to all be dead. And I'm not an idiot about context, and right. so I'm sure that I knew that some of the shit was dying. But I think in my head, I always wanted to do it, because I figured you could just go do that with some smoke and get like part of the same effect, because yeah. I've seen bees get drowsy. Like, Yeah, I see what you mean by that. Now I probably wouldn't do it, because I don't feel the need to go wipe out like an entire section of forest's fucking insect population. Yeah, but I'm also not a researcher. <laughs> yeah. Like, for us, it'd just be like, for shits and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not in that same boat anymore. But I do like that, too. Like, that's a really cool scene. I like the whole opening of this film, leaning into them, showing that California town. But I did laugh because Julian Sands just yells at Manly to start taking pictures. I'm sure he means start taking pictures of all the shit that they're collecting. But in my head, the way that he yells it at him and what they're all looking at, I'm like, does he really need to start taking pictures of the shit falling from the trees? Are you just trying to get, like, really arty photographs know, of, right? like, dead butterflies we falling? We need double and triple exposures on this. Like, this is going in the fucking local art show of, like... That's funny. ...bunch of butterflies dropping dead from a tree. I know, right? Put into black and white. The death of an Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows, but you're right. It is kind of funny when you think about that. I was showing my nephews a little bit of this, too, because I was telling you I had a babysit them today. But I was explaining to them what they were doing when they were collecting the butterflies and, of course, the arachnids. And it was funny because I was like, oh, I had my headphones on so they couldn't hear. Anyhow, I was like, oh, yeah, they just heard a loud thump. And that's where those spiders are at. And they're like, are, is it dead? I was like, oh, we're about to find out. <laughs> and that's when he took the picture and it jumped at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they jumped back a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and it was funny because, like, all weekend I was like, you guys want to watch this movie? They're like, no, no, no. I know why. It's because the last movie they showed them was Pet Cemetery, So <laughs> they weren't trusting me too much. And I was like, yeah, this one's not so scary. I mean, it's a This one doesn't movie. have Zelda. Oh, my God. And that's what fucked them up. But the thing about this film, I think that kind of sold them on the idea, was that it was something familiar, spiders. And mm -hmm. oh, it's not too scary. It's still something I can handle, but... I'd eventually like to show it to them, but they were kind of getting more into the idea of watching the film during that whole sequence in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I did a tiny bit of research about the spider falling bit. Mm -hmm. First off, there's a reason that, I mean, even though some of the spiders they use in this movie are really big, especially like the general, where I think they use mm -hmm. the Goliath bird eating spider or tarantula right. yeah. for the general, one of the biggest spiders on earth. He's a monster. 
It's a big fucking spider, but there's a reason they don't get much bigger than that. And it's because when something uses an exoskeleton, it's really limited, like, structurally-wise. Makes sense, yeah. And once something gets so big using an exoskeleton, it would just collapse under its own weight. Because they're actually kind of fragile. I mean, Internally. it's their bones on the outside, you know what I yeah. mean? So spiders, even if it was this motherfucker, just because it has an exoskeleton, presumably made like all other spiders' exoskeletons are, falling from that height would have meant that it was would have almost for sure been missing legs, if not have been basically a completely shattered spider. Oh, no kidding. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, when you think about that, when you put it in that context, yeah, for sure. And that was a high fucking drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it should have been just done for. Splat. But, I mean, obviously, I don't want to see the realistic version of this movie. Oh, I want to see the version with super spiders, as much as it fucking yeah. creeps me out. I love all of that, man. It was really good. So, something I thought was kind of interesting was reading a little bit about Brian McNamara, the guy who plays Chris Collins in this. There was a scene, and I read a little bit about the fact that he was on the show Family Ties, and mm. the episode he was on was an episode about Alex Keaton, which was played by Michael J. Fox. So Brian McNamara played his friend that wound up dying in a car accident, and the writer wound up winning like an, an Emmy Award, I should say, for that. Mm-hmm. But what was funny is later on in the film, when they're trying to get Jeff Daniels' family out of the house because of the spiders, the family's watching an episode of Family Ties. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I wonder if that was done intentionally. Probably was. What happens to him? McNamara? Yeah. Last we see of him, oh, he's helping get the family out. Yeah. And the, the, the trellis off. falls over, and he lands, but he's mm-hmm. obviously not dead. Right, right, right. You're right. And then the camera cuts to what's going on with Jeff Daniels, and we never see him again. Do we see the kids, too, after that? Yeah. I think we see all the family. Dang. And Goodman, but we never see him again after He that. took off, man. He's like, getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> fuck this town. Now he knows Julian Sands is dead, and he's going to go take over as the world's top spider researcher. Entomologist, yeah. He's going to go grab all Julian Sands' notes. He's like, dibs, mine, motherfucker. That would make sense, too, when you think about this film. You had a new doctor taking over an old doctor spot. Now you've got a young entomologist taking over Julian Sands' spot. It would make sense if you think about it that way. Yeah, I don't know what happened to him, man. That's a great question. I wish there was a follow-up movie. <laughs> How about John Goodman? I know we talked about him. Delbert McClintock. Yeah, I like the fact that they give him that role where he's like really goofy, kind of dumb. Oh my God, this is one of my favorite Goodman roles. It's good. Mean, dude, it's so good. I found myself, I've watched this movie a lot in my youth, but it's at this point been probably at least six years since the last time I watched it. Oh, it's been a hot minute for me. If not longer. And I still found myself being able to just, like, mouth along with some of Goodman's lines. And I didn't even notice I was doing it, but I was just, like, got down to, like, when he's checking for termites and shit. It's like, bad wood. (laughs) (laughs) What would you do? (laughs) Get good wood. (laughs) That's funny, man. Yeah, that line was funny. One that triggered old memory for me was when he was visiting the Beachwood family after the daughter Mm -hmm. uh, was taking the shower, got the spider on her face and shit. And he comes out and he squishes the bug. And then he's, he hears a dog bark. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm bad. I'm bad. <laughs> so I remember that because that was a part of the movie trailer. Oh. Yeah, I was like, oh, shit, I can remember some of the trailer in this film. I think that scene, I even think like that scene with her in the shower, I think it was part of the trailer. So there are certain things that kind of cue those memories. But, yeah, some of his, man, are super funny. So maybe you noticed it. Maybe you have it in your notes. I couldn't notice it when I was watching through. But I could have swore that there was at least one scene 
where you actually see like the prodding stick to get the spiders to move. Oh, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. I don't know if I saw a prodding stick, but there is a scene in the mortuary at the very beginning of the film mm-hmm. where they're bringing back Manley's body and Kendall's, he's looking at mm-hmm. it, doing the autopsy, whatever. And the spider gets out of that makeshift coffin and it goes through that little trap door for the dog and the cat. Right. You can vaguely make out a shadow of somebody kind of guiding it out. <laughs> I was telling Ashley, my sister, I was like, oh shit, I just saw that. <laughs> right. I, I wasn't supposed to see that. I could have swore from growing up that there was a scene where you can see the prodding stick it too. It wouldn't surprise but me. I, I couldn't I see it. I didn't catch it. However, in my research, I did find out, so most of the spiders they use, technically they're native to Australia. It's called the flat harvestmen. However, they're more known for their presence on New Zealand when they were brought there. Because exactly. I think they spread out a bit more Yeah, um, they in call that them... habitat. I mean, I've got the information here a little bit. But yeah, they call them those Avondale spiders. And apparently they're like harmless to humans. Yeah. They uh, just look aggressive. Every once in a while they'll bite a human, but it usually doesn't do much other than like swelling at the side of bite. Yeah. It's probably no more than like an ant bite or something of that nature. (laughs) But they're slightly known for the fact that they just kind of sit there. Yeah. I mean, they're docile. So they have to. They're, They're rather docile. They do live in colonies, which is rather weird for being wolf spiders. They hunt their prey rather than use webs. And they'll live in the colonies of up to 300 spiders, which is fucking terrifying. That's frightening. And they'll be cool with spiders of their colony, but are ridiculously aggressive against flat harvestmen from other colonies. Yeah, they'll fuck you up, bro. And extremely cannibalistic. That's something I didn't know about spiders, that they'll eat their own kind. They don't give a shit. Which they talk about in this movie. Yeah. And why, you know, the queen keeps the other spiders away from the main nest in the wine cellar. Which, poor fucking Jeff Daniels. Everything he wants in this film just gets shit on. (laughs) I know, man. You kind of do feel for him in those regards. Yeah, I mean, he's come to this, in a way, his, like, dream home, his dream job, the dream town, I suppose. And he gets there and everything about it is sour. Fucking nightmare. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be his dream everything. Like you just said, like job security for life, doing what he wants to do at probably a slower pace and nicer version of than what he would get in the city. The ability to have his wine cellar. It's a nice setup. And get away from the danger of earthquakes. Instead, he doesn't have the job he wanted. No. The town is fucking shitty to him, except for like a select few people. His wine cellar is rotting. Ugh. And his literal worst fear it shows his up. Barn. <laughs> Jesus, I know, right? And makes its home in his wine cellar. Oh, I know. When I saw that scene again, I was like, "Man, that's a dick move by those spiders." <laughs> like, we're gonna bring the nest down here, sucker. <laughs> yeah, they brought the egg sack and everything. That was fucked up. All right, there was a scene I want to talk about because it's probably a scene we will hardly ever see again in a film. Perhaps, and for good reason. And the scene I'm talking about is a little lead into it. Beachwood, who is the coach of that football team, at the funeral of, I think, was it Hollins or? Margaret. Can't remember her last name. I think it was Hollins. The woman who befriends Jeff Daniels yeah. in the beginning. Okay. So he's like, yeah, he's like, if you come up by the school, I'll have you some clients lined up. Now, prior to watching it again for the podcast, it's like, I forgot about that scene. Because when he gets to the school and they're going through the gymnasium, he leads them into the locker room. And it's a bunch of high school boys. And he's there to give them physicals. 
And I'm like, that's fucked up because he's not just not just physicals. He's there to checking do their balls. specifically the turn and cough. Yeah. I was thinking, all right, for the time period, they totally got away with it. <laughs> now it would have been an uproar. <laughs> oh, and I mean, Desmond's saying it for good reason, because I didn't want to really see that scene. It's like I've had that happen to me several times. I play a lot of sports. I know you did too. But I was like, man, that's kind of fucked up that they actually left that. And that's kind of, not to hark on this name either, but that's kind of Brian Singer-ish. <laughs> you didn't have to show that. Wow. <laughs> Damn, Jeff Daniels. I know. It's like, sorry, Jeff Daniels. They fucked you up on that one. I suppose the payback that Jeff Daniels gets truly throughout this movie, though, whereas we mentioned like Delbert is the outrightly comedic character. <laughs> yeah, he is. Jeff Daniels gets all of the best lines and best zingers throughout this movie. Yeah, he, he is constantly being just snarky as shit, throwing down low-key fucking zingers. A couple of them are pretty good. I like and them. a couple of them I, I don't think even like my first time watching I caught. Because it's just like really quick things that he'll throw in almost under his breath towards the end of somebody <laughs> saying shit. And I'm like, oh, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's I, funny. Uh, some good writing in this movie, honestly. Yeah, this there is certainly is. a fun little flick. I do think it won like two Saturn Awards. So uh, I can see that, especially for that time period, the <clears throat> 1990. You know, it was a good transition into like the new decade for some of the films like leading up to that. You didn't really have that I can think of, at least growing up. Like a film that was kind of family centric, that was still scary, but not like frightening, if you know what I mean. It wasn't a Jason or, you know, Freddy Krueger kind of scary. It was something that was practical, but something you could totally deal with too, you know. So for me, being like eight or nine, when I finally got to see kind of the same age you were, I had that same feeling. I liked it a lot and I wanted to watch a lot, but it still left me with that uneasy feeling because you're dealing with fucking spiders, man. Yeah. I want to say things about the score, but to be honest, there's only one time I noticed the score in this movie, other than it just sounding, I guess, like standard movie to me, Mm -hmm. I guess, was once again back to Delbert. (laughs) His theme that accompanies him whenever he pops into a scene sounds like something straight out of Peanuts. Yeah, I mean, it really does. It sounds like fucking Charlie Brownish all over the place and just adds so much to his character. And lets you know that he's going to be a little hokey. Mm -hmm. I was totally fine with that because he doesn't do it to the point where it's over the top. He does it where it's just enough. He thinks he knows everything, but everything is flying right on the top of his head. (laughs) Even the spider walking by him in the barn. Mm -hmm. There's no spiders underneath there. He's fucking missing the spider. Just all that shit. Yeah, I don't think it was spiders. <laughs> okay, yeah, you mentioned you played sports. I played sports. We both still watch sports. Oh, no doubt, yeah. And I already touched on this, but the doctor saying that that wasn't a very hard tackle. Dude, that kid got set up across the middle. He got smashed oh. by like four or five defenders at one time. All right, I can share a good story about that. <laughs> all right, so think about that kid, right? That route that he was running. So for those who are familiar with football, I know we're going off on a tangent, but as a receiver, and I played receiver a lot, man, when you go across the middle of the field like he did, you got to worry about the linebackers blowing you up. You got to worry about the safeties blowing you up and the corners blowing you up. I'll give you one quick story. He had all three blow him up. That's what I'm getting at. I was in a similar situation in a football practice where my wide receiver coach, I didn't like him. He was a dickhead, but he knew it. And so he made me run a deep post pattern. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was against the safety bearing down on me and the corner. So I had two safeties and a corner bearing down on me. <laughs> and uh, 
I closed my eyes and caught the ball and I split them. And I came back. I was like, you fucking dickhead. I almost got blown up. But I could relate to that guy, that kid in the film, because of that. I was like, man, that is not a good place to be on the football field. So not only is he being a dick, he's outright lying. Dude, he got hit by like five kids He did, time. man. Yeah, you're right. There was a dog pile on him. <laughs> not a single offensive player around. <laughs> yeah, he got fucked up. Metcalf being a dick throughout all the movie. The first time I was just like, yeah, he's a dick. But it kept me thinking about it through my second time through the movie. And some of the things he says, especially in opposition to the autopsy. How many other things over the years do you think Metcalf didn't follow up on that might have been more fucked up? Very valid point. Even first person who dies in the town, not necessarily the first person who dies in the film, but she makes mention. She says something to the fact that like, oh yeah, he just recently gave up leeches. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know? So it lets you know that his way of practicing medicine is a little old school. So you're right. How much shit has he let fly past him because of his mentality Probably a lot of people he killed and not followed because or, of negligence or, and i'm not even saying that well, i'm well, like yeah but not that, even things he just didn't follow, right, follow up, up on. procedures and stuff yeah oh whoa wouldn't trust him motherfucker <laughs> i don't like my calf <laughs> i know right? his yeah. wife's cool though yeah Beppa's cool she was really cool party scene i want to talk about that for a second with the mom being the alcoholic oh yeah and making an ass out of herself yeah i almost (laughs) forgot about that honestly (laughs) i was like wow they really went there with that reminded me that was a bit uncomfortable (laughs) it was there are scenes in this film where it's like they do get a little adult but just enough to kind of rein it back in but i was like whoa she's i'll tell you how they rein it back in is Jeff Daniels' wife making the quip about nepotism and they going <laughs> completely <Baptist>. over her fucking <laughs> That was so good. That was one of those lines. Yeah, I, I know I didn't catch that as a kid. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't know what the hell nepotism was. It cracked was. me the fuck up last night when I was watching it. Like, I oh, said, oh no, God. we're Baptists. <laughs> what a dumb bitch. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I don't think he has a quip after that, but he kind of makes it really brief with the Kendalls while they're eating like a tray full of cookies and shit. When he starts getting into what he found and his procedures of working at the morgue, he just puts his little snack down. He's like, basically he's saying we're out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does stuff like that. He even has that quip back to Parsons. He's like, you know, if we find the spider, good news because we'll let you arrest him. <laughs> it's like, God damn, that was pretty good. This goes a little bit towards the wife. I can't ever think of her name. I think um, it's Molly in the film. Molly. Yeah. This goes a little bit towards Molly. And maybe how she should have took Jeff a little bit more seriously from the get-go. Because that second time they come back to the barn together. Her coming back, him for right, the first right, time. Right. Even despite the fact that there was like four times as much webs. How fast do you nope the fuck out of there if... <laughs> A rodent is tangled in the web. Oh, man. Yeah, that means that that's a powerful-ass web, and there must be a big-ass spider in there. Or I'm not fucking with. Or, I don't, yeah. I'm not fucking with it. No. I'm, coming, I'm burning the fucking barn. You're right. The I am, I'm nope with the I don't, fuck up out of there. I don't need a barn <laughs> that badly. <laughs> I've been seeing these things recently that are really funny, and they're memes. I love memes, but... I've seen, like, where it has a top thing. is like, say, for instance, you're in a Freddy Krueger movie or whatever... Mm-hmm. And it gives you the scenarios, like, in two scenes, how the movie's over. <laughs> and this is how this movie would end. Like, you go out to the barn, you see the spider web, burn the fucking barn down, the end. Yeah. A film by Frank Marshall. <laughs> and it's like, that's how this movie would have ended. Much like The Wicker Man. Naked woman wants to bone, bone, movie over. <laughs> the Wicker Man. 
stuff like that. I was thinking about that. I was like, this movie could have been over a long time ago. And we keep mentioning how family-friendly this movie is. And I feel like part of that owes to the fact of how it's set up. Because it really jumped out to me while watching it through these past couple days. This movie's kind of basically just the blob. Yeah, you're right. It's an invasion story. Yeah, it's not any other sort of weird killer. No. It's just an invasion story, which are never the scariest. No, but you're right. They're still family-friendly. They're still scary enough. It's scary enough because you see the horror that's lurking right under your nose. A lot of the terror in this just comes from how easy it is to miss a fucking spider crawling under something. Oh, dude. I've seen a couple of spiders this week in my bar. <laughs> but I'm like, they're small enough. They're chill enough. I'm going to let them be. And Jillian's hands kind of gives you a really cool fact. They don't look like they were birthed from a Venezuelan super spider fucking a normal spider? I know. No. Where'd that other tarantula come from? That's a good point, man. There were several in this film. I mean, you know, we're... Of course, we're nitpicking, but yeah, where'd that other one come from? It seems like if the fucking Venezuelan super spider was going to be fucking anything, it'd be like a barn spider. I mean, it could be inbred. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because it mated with a house spider. We know that. Right, but we saw the house spider it mated with. That's what I'm getting so at. So where the fuck did a tarantula come that, yeah, from? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, because now the tarantula is the queen, you would mm-hmm. think. Yeah, that's incest. That's General's daughter. Anyway, I don't I want know, to think about I know. spiders that much. <laughs> Sorry. I prefer thinking about it as the blob. No, I, uh, yeah. There was two other bits I'll, I can kind of okay. briefly skim over. And it has to do with kind of the tonal things. One, it was getting back to the music. There's a little bit of it where it feels a little bit like a Tim Burton movie. Some of the score, like Danny Elfman might have scored some bits of it. But I was thinking that, too, in my mind. Like, I wonder how this film would have been had Tim Burton directed it. Like, which different direction? Mm-hmm. Because I could see him toying with it. Not that he'd ever venture into it, but some of the music kind of made me think about it a little bit. It kind of had a little bit of that feel. And the other bit is getting back to Jeff Daniels and his wife. In the spiders, uh, how Ooh, spider... Was, good, because I was going to say there's one more thing I need to say about the wife, too, but yeah. go on. And this is just from the very beginning, where they're first moving in, and the sun runs out, and he's like, hey, there's a spider, blah, blah, blah. She comes in, and she tells Jeff Daniels that it's bad luck to kill a spider when you move into a new home. And he's like, hey, I think you just made that up, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then later on, he flips the script on her, and he tells her, you know... It's bad luck not to make love. When the first night in a new yeah, home. Right. And then as that's happening, you're getting the, the mirroring. Bunny. Yeah, you get the mirroring of Jeff Daniels and his wife and the spider. Spider in his new home. And I kind of like that. There was a little bit of mirroring in this film. There's some foreshadowing, of course. And I like that. It's like they at least kept some of those elements in there where it was vague enough where, you know, if you're young, you're not going to catch it. But because of what we do, it's like, ah. Uh, see, they're kind of setting up scenes in the future, which I like. That's really cool. So I had one more thing about the wife that bugged me. Okay. I don't think I even would have noticed this or cared if it didn't end up being a slight plot point. Julian Sands goes to meet his end because he figures out that the spiders are at least hanging out in the barn. He figures that out because the wife, at her husband's practice, yep. her husband, a known arachnophobe, ah, that's a dick an extreme arachnophobe, Hung up a picture of Cobweb on his practice walls. Yeah, and not only that, but of one on their property. <laughs> yeah, if you want Remember, thing. honey, this is waiting for you at home. Yeah, go ahead and fuck around at the office and see what happens. <laughs> you think this is bad. But yeah, that's a good point. Very valid point. If it wasn't a plot point, I don't think I would have even cared that much. But I was like, wait, wait, wait. 
She was the one hanging up pictures. She's the one that took that picture. Yeah. She's married to a guy that she knows is an extreme arachnophobe. Now, I will say this. In her defense, a little bit, not with the picture, but with his story about being two years old and recalling a spider crawling on him from the crib, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Not at two. Not at two, but I'll tell you what. So this is kind of funny that this happened when we did arachnophobia. Especially now the fact that I'm bitching about the wife and how she was a dick to him. Not at two years old, but at three years old, one of my earliest memories is getting stung on the neck from a fucking bee. And I still freak out at bees to this day. Yeah. And just this week, while out at dinner with my girlfriend, (laughs) who was gone last weekend and I was looking after her place and watering her plants, she has a lot of plants that attract a lot of bees. Oh, shit. I had to tell her, like, yeah, I mean, I got through it. It was a little bit terrifying, but I got through it. She's like, wait, what? You should have had, like, a a selfie stick filming yourself. (laughs) So I I had to recount the story. I'm like, yeah, well, when I was three, that's one of my first memories, getting stung. And I'm like, and it hasn't gotten any better from there. And recounted a couple (laughs) other times where I've just been fucking stung out of the blue and i mean it's traumatizing i mean i will say that but i'm like to this day i don't like being around them yeah <laughs> i'm not jeff daniels about it but <laughs> i think three is a little bit more believable yeah two you're kind of pushing it but then when he starts telling that story i'm like fuck i just had to tell that story <laughs> like i know exactly how he feels right now because i funny. just told that story that is so funny Thankfully and luckily enough for me, I don't have any <laughs> memories of that from that young. I mean, I've been stung to motherfucking death by bees because I thought I could fight them. You don't have any memories of that from that young because of the Jesus juice. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here, drink more of this. You're probably right. That's funny. I mean, outside of that, man, this film is fun. It's one that we both grew up with. It's one I wouldn't mind my nephews watching because it is PG-13 and it's a little bit right down the middle. Still kind of holds up, though. I will give it credit. For a film that's 28 years old, it still has some carrying power. Fuck, I agree. I think I almost enjoy this movie more now that I get all aspects of it. Like Totally. I'm, I'm still kind of creeped out by spiders, but I also get more of the humor. For a film that's almost two hours, it has a pretty that's decent pacing, forgot. too. I forgot that it was actually that long of a movie, which yeah. I did not, like... I didn't anticipate I didn't that. finish the movie when I watched it last night, because <laughs> I didn't. I forgot how long it was, and I did not give myself enough time, and I was <laughs> feeling like a sleepy bitch, so... No, that's understandable, man. We all go through that shit on the weekends. Outside of that, I'll share just a few bits of trivia mm-hmm. without being too much of a nerd. The name of the fictional town that they're in is called Kanaima. And apparently that is the name of the avenging spirit of the Guiana Indians. And it's also the name in the area in Venezuela where they first filmed at the beginning of the film. And those two waterfalls that you see, those are the two tallest waterfalls in the world. They're called Angel Falls. Right. And I was telling my Mm -hmm. nephews about that, which I thought was kind of cool. You had mentioned Mythbusters, Jamie Heinemann. I think that was really cool. I also mentioned there's a few people we've talked about before because of the movie Scanners. Stefan Dupuis and chris wallace and chris wallace was the person who was responsible for like the animatronics and the design of the gremlins and it goes back to the the scanners film yeah not biggie smalls no (laughs) not that chris wallace but he actually was the one who helped design the spider and like controlled some of the animatronics on it at the end of the film so those two guys we have mentioned before it's a steven spielberg collaboration of some of his friends a lot of the people you're going to be familiar with. Just um, a really good cast and crew. 
I know I did read that it was originally supposed to be more just straight horror without the comedy elements. I wonder how that would have came across. Well, I think that might be what we end up getting with the James Wan reboot. Now, there is a film that I heard that it gets kind of compared to a lot, this movie. It kind of makes me want to watch it. Apparently William Shatner is in it, and it's been brought up in pop culture a couple times. It's like the Invasion of the Spiders or some shit like that. Kingdom of the Spiders. Okay. Yeah, so what I read about that is like, no one's going to sue this production company because that. <laughs> you know, they're not going to go after them. But it did make me kind of wonder, man. I did look at some still shots of that film. I was like, I'm kind of curious how much this film borrowed from it. Hey, it's got the shat. It can't be all bad. I know. Oh, you know what? I read something about William Shatner because of that, where like in some of the roasts and stuff, there's some quotes that he does from that film. That film, from what I understand, helped influence this film. And there's a lot of shit that they borrowed from mm-hmm. arachnophobia from that film. But outside of that, no, man, I really enjoy this film. I really did. I'm glad we went back to it. Me too. Yeah. Super glad. Brings man. back good memories. VHS days. Super good memories. Plus John Goodman. Yeah, John Goodman, good Jeff everything. Daniels. There's good everything about this movie. Yeah, dude. Just not spiders on me. That's yeah, that's the only part that's I can do without. <laughs> but if it wasn't for spiders, we wouldn't have this movie. So there's your yin and yang. Very true. So next week... We, do have we a are going to have a guest on, and we are going to be watching The Gate. Dude, I haven't seen that one in a long time. Which I've never seen. Ooh, good. We get to pop your cherry again. So get ready to listen to us talk about it by yeah. going and watching The Gate. 1987's The Gate. Year I was born. Nice. Stephen Dorff. Year I was born's The Gate. I didn't know Stephen Dorff was Yeah, dude, as a kid. Kid Stephen Dorff? Kid Stephen Dorff. That's fun. Okay, I'm super sold. In order to keep listening to us, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us, or go check out our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Links are up at the top. The latest episode is streaming down at the bottom with everything in between, including our Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast, our Twitter, at Fried Squirms. Oh, there's a link somewhere to our Facebook, which is Fried Squirms. You can always hit contact up at the top of the page and use the form to get in touch with us or hit us up, squirmcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we so love your emails. If you have recommendations, suggestions, collaborations, hit us up. We're always available. I'm glad we still get to talk to you lovely peoples, and thank you for everybody who listens. Fried Squirms, out. out.